Hey everybody, welcome to Valley Church. Thanks for clicking in. It is so good to be with you. It's so good to worship together. If we haven't met, my name's Brandon. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Uh, and uh, today we're gonna talk about anger. And I don't know if you uh, have any anger buttons in your life. You know, I mean, just buttons and people. There are certain people, by the way, they just know how to press your buttons. Some of them are so good at pressing your buttons with pinpoint accuracy. Some of the buttons in our life, they just set us off, right? These, these buttons are not gonna, they're not gonna work. Hold on a second. I'll be right back. This button is the button I'm talking about, right? There's just the big, like some people can just press these buttons and at the risk of uh, setting some of us off, I just wanna go through some things that make so many people frustrated, aggravated, and, uh, and even angry. Check this out. Traffic. I mean, if you have never gotten angry or frustrated in traffic, you are the saint of all saints. I can't, I can't handle gridlock. I mean, I can, but it just, like, I just get frustrated when people won't move. It doesn't seem like there's a reason that we shouldn't be moving. Uh, you know, trying to get off on an exit or construct. If you've ever lived in Illinois, I don't think the roads have ever been without construction, right? Uh, gridlock, it's messing some of us up. Check this out. Lines. Just unnecessary lines or unreasonably long lines. Like when you're in the back of the line, don't you just wish that somebody up front would say, hey, come on up and join me in the front of the line. And when somebody gets out of line, like there's a celebration that happens inside of you. You're like, I'm closer and closer. And when you get to the front of the line, all you can think about is no one better get in front of me, right? Lines, they just spin somebody out here. Let's put some more buttons. Look at this. Crowds of people who are walking slowly. I don't even know the magic behind this. There is some kind of wizardry that some people have. When I'm behind a slow walker and I wanna move left, somehow they just drift left and I try to spin right to get them back. They're just over there, they're there. They're, wherever I wanna go, it's where they are. Big crowds with slow walkers. I don't know about you, but it pushes my buttons. How about this? Children, no, not children, loud crunchers. Like uh, some people just hate the chompers and the crunching, the loud sounds, uh, even loud breathing while your mouth is closed and they're chewing and it just really spins some people out. How about this? Your neighbor's dog leaving a little treat in your front yard. You know what I'm talking about. The neighbors just need to pick that stuff up and when you see it, it just, I don't know, for me, it pushes my buttons. How about this? when somebody in your house doesn't leave a treat for you. And it's almost worse when there's one or two squares of toilet paper because that means that they knew it was almost out but they left what they thought was enough to get you by. Not cool. Spoilers. Do you know anybody who just hates spoilers? Like you can press so many buttons by telling people uh, the end of a movie or, or the 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 way the season ends of a TV show or a series finale or a sports score. You know, like, hey, I'm recording it, don't tell me the, and then they just hear, and they flip out. Spoilers are the worst for some people. How about this? We've got some coffee snobs all around us. Some of us might be coffee snobs. People want their coffee made a very specific way. And uh, if it's made incorrectly, it just flips us out. But not just coffee, like any kind of food. When you order a specialty anything and it's not made right, I've seen people scream and yell at the person behind the cash register because they said no pickles and there were pickles. Now, of course, if I want something off the sandwich, 
I just want to communicate it kindly, but some people, it spins them totally out. How about this? Do I need to say anything? This is a cat, it's not even doing anything. It just makes people angry. How about this? Cat, cat, cat. Look at these, can we at least agree that these are awful cats? Look at how hideous they are. I don't know about you, but uh, there are buttons to be pushed. Some of us have just not mastered keeping control of our anger, control of our tongue, control of our emotions. Let's put this away. As we jump into Proverbs today, why don't you grab your Bible and flip over to Proverbs chapter 19. Solomon has so much to say uh, about the area of anger in our lives. And without a doubt, each and every one of us, we're, we're dealing with this in some way on some level. And the issue uh, is either what ignites our anger, like some of these petty things, or actually what we do with our anger. You know, anger is a, a powerful emotion. Uh, it's kind of like a wildfire. I don't know if you've ever seen a wildfire, experienced a wildfire, watched a wildfire uh, on the internet, on TV. Like a wildfire just consumes everything in its path. And and a lot like anger out of control, uh, it can just burn through relationships. Anger out of control can burn through our peace. It can burn up our joy and leaving us exhausted and depleted. Anger out of control, it has never made any situation better Ever. I can't think of any situation. You know, in Solomon, he encourages us to control the, the blaze of anger uh, by containing it or through thoughtful management. It's just crucial. Uh, and repeatedly throughout the book of Proverbs, Solomon teaches and reminds us that patience and understanding, it can stop the wildfire from spreading. Fire, by the way, I don't know if you think about it, it's like a really good thing. I love that we have access to fire. Fire is really good in the right context. But we need God's guidance to tame this wildfire, uh, transitioning it into a controlled burn. You know, a controlled burn, it it actually can can be pretty cool. It it brings warmth and uh, fire that's under control. It, It drives away darkness. It brings light rather than causing destruction. So, If you're not there yet, why don't you flip your Bibles open to Proverbs chapter 19 uh, and anger. Uh, It's a constant theme through Proverbs. Solomon has some very specific things to say about guiding this emotion and getting a grip on it so that it doesn't, you know, carry you away, which uh, anger has done for so many of us so many times. You know, we want to we get a grip on all of our emotions and intentions, whether they're good or they're bad. And Solomon in verse 2, he starts out by saying this, even zeal is not good without knowledge. And the one who acts hastily sins. Like, this is so good. I love this verse. Like, we all know that uh, impulsive actions and, and thoughtless decisions and, and even unchecked emotions, they, they can cause some, some major consequences. That's like not new information at all. But notice that the win, it, it's not zeal. Knowledge is the win. I love this. It's, it's right there in front of our face. The win is knowledge. It's, it's in knowing what is wise, knowing what is right, and then acting on what's right, not what feels good, not, not doing what's impulsive. In fact, if you're a note taker, I would love it if you'd write this down. Acting on impulses is a setup for sin. 
acting on impulse is a setup for sin. When, you know, not all of our impulses lead to bad things, but I'm telling you, almost every bad thing is a result of an impulsive decision. It's just something that you decided to do. Nobody wakes up and decides to do something bad. It's just kind of like, well, there it went. There I did it. I didn't put myself in check. I didn't pause. I didn't take time to understand. I promise you, you're going to have fewer angry outbursts when you do two things. And Solomon has them right here in the passage. First, we should think about what's right and what's wrong and what's wise and what's unwise before we go and do what we want. We got to think. You know, we, it's not our zeal and it's not our haste. We got to think. We got to find that knowledge. And then the second piece is to not rush into it. Don't rush into to what we want to do without thinking through it. Is it good? Is it right? Or, or even is it safe? You know, I remember having a brand new puppy when I was a little kid, middle school. My parents bought a dachshund and, and I was just in love with this dog, this tiny puppy. And I remember being out in the front yard with my dad. My dad was just a few feet away from me. And I just had like unrealistic confidence in this dog that was like six weeks old. And I set the dog down. And the first thing the dog did was run out into the street. And my instinct kicked in to run out into the street to get the dog. And as I was running into the street, I realized there was a car barreling down our road. Now, thankfully, this is a, a neighborhood, so the speed limit was 25 miles an hour. It's not like they were flying 55, 65, but I just jumped out into traffic. I don't know what I was thinking, but I put my hand in front of the car like I had the ability to stop it, and I bent over, and I picked up my dog. The car screeched as it laid on its brakes, and my dad over in front of the house, who was just six feet away from me moments ago, he's just bursting in anger. He's seeing his son's life flash before his eyes. And I gotta tell you, that anger from my dad in that moment, completely justified. It's good anger. You know, his anger was a, a catalyst to, to alert me, to get me to, you know, warn me of my foolish behavior, even though he couldn't in the split second come and save me if there was trouble. Sometimes our haste leads us into unreasonable amounts of anger, but also our haste can can cause somebody else to be angry. You and I, we need to be wise. We need to know what's right and we need to do what's right. Impulse uh, has rarely brought benefit to anybody. You know, haste, haste isn't uh, wise in our good intentions or in our out of control emotions. Haste, we just, we just wanna stay away from it. And it's pretty much impossible, by the way, to do what's right if, if you don't know what's right. You know, where do we find knowledge? How do we, how do we get it? How do we obtain it? How do we go after it? You know, where do we learn what's right? Solomon reminds us that it is never from us. You and I can't produce what's right. We don't know what's right alone on our own. Check out all of these verses. Proverbs chapter three, verse five. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. Wisdom doesn't come from you. Knowledge doesn't come from you. You've got to go after it. You got to trust the Lord. Look at this next verse. Proverbs 12, 15. A fool's way is right in their own eyes. If you want to be foolish, don't even worry about other people's counsel. Don't even jump into the Bible to see what is right, what is good, what is wise. Just do what you want in your own eyes. But whoever listens to wise counsel, that's, that's where wisdom is. Like a fool's way is right in their own eyes, but whoever listens to wise counsel is wise. We don't find it on our own. We don't find it within us without wise counsel, without God, without trusting him. Check out what Solomon says in Proverbs 14, 12. He says, there is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. When you and I are chasing and running after things that we think is right, instead of finding out what we know is right and what is good, 
It's a problem. Look at the next verse, Proverbs 16, 25. Hold on a second. Go back to Proverbs 14. Okay, go back to Proverbs 16, 20. Okay, wait a minute. 14. Oh, they say the same thing. This verse is so good. Solomon's like, I just need to say it again. Solomon says it again. There's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is in the way to death. We can't find life alone on our own. We don't have it in us. And then look at what he says in Proverbs 19, 20, the chapter we're in today. Listen, listen to counsel. Receive instructions so that you may be wise later in life. Like if you want to be wise, by the way, can you hear that it requires patience? Like you and I, we need to learn things now so that we can make better decisions later. You and I rarely make like better decisions in the moment of when we're learning. It's like we, we always try to, you know, consume as much as possible when crisis is upon us. The, the best thing to do is to learn in advance so that when things happen later in life, you and I are ready for them. When poor choices uh, uh, are made, circumstances are, are coming at us. And Solomon, Solomon is emphasizing the importance of seeking wisdom and listening and seeking advice and trusting in God's guidance. But a foolish person doesn't do that. A fool follows their own way. Look at this, Proverbs 19.3. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness. They just ruin it. And then they're angry at the Lord. Like that doesn't even make sense. When you and I are in a good place and we read something like this, we're like, that doesn't make sense. Why would somebody do that? You know, when poor choices lead to circumstances that feel unrecoverable or when, when God steps in with correction or consequences set in, a fool starts to blame God. A fool gets angry with the Lord. God, why did you do this? God, why did you let this happen? God, if you loved me, you, have you ever said any of those things? Those are moments of foolishness when we start blaming God for the poor choices that we make. Uh, somehow in a fool's mind, it's God's fault. Why don't you write this down? This is, a, this, this is something for you note takers out there. There are always consequences for our poor choices. But God always wants what's best for you. There's always consequences for our poor choices, but God always wants what's best for you. You know, consequences aren't punishment for the sake of punishment. Consequences and correction uh, enter into our life to get us back on path, to, to get our attention, to alert us to the problem. You know, blame and anger, they're not the answer when our actions are causing the problem. When, when God steps in to bring correction, that's actually a display of his love for us. Blaming God and, and getting angry with God is not a winning strategy. It has never been a winning strategy. But that doesn't mean that anger is always wrong. You know, anger is a powerful emotion. Uh, it shows something that's important to us is, is being challenged or attacked. That's why you and I get angry because the thing we love or the thing we value is being attacked. You know, anger is, is a natural response that it shines light on something. And anger focuses our attention. It, it, it gets our uh, attention to, to drive action and hopefully find some resolution. You know, look at what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 19 too. We've already been through this, but when zeal is a, uh, even zeal is not good without knowledge and the one who acts hastily sins. It's impossible. It's impossible for us to do what's good 
without true knowledge and without knowing what's good in the heat of the moment, uninformed impulse, it's just always going to lead us to sin. But that's not anger's fault. Look at what uh, we see in Ephesians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul says this, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. In your anger, do not sin implies that, that it must not be a sin to be angry, which is really good news because you and I, we're going to get angry. For the rest of our lives, we're going to get angry at something at some time, but it's not okay to stay angry. We're going to get angry, but it's not okay to stay angry. If you're a note taker, I would love it if you'd write this down. Why do we get angry? Why do we get angry? Because anger gets ignited. Anger ignites when something threatens something you value. Just write this down. Anger ignites when something threatens something that you value. By the way, this definition, it's not good. This definition is not bad. This definition just is. What do you value? Because some of us value things that are not healthy and we get angry over ridiculous things because we value this thing. And some of us, some of us have some values that get stepped on that are actually really good things. And when those things are attacked, we get angry. We're going to get angry. We can't stay angry. It's not a good place to live or a good place to be. Think about the last time that you were angry. Something threatened something you valued. Maybe it was a good thing. Maybe it was a selfish thing. You know, maybe it was something stealing your time. Maybe you became angry because something or someone was keeping you from something good. And you just, you just wanted to break through the mess so that you could get to what's best. Or... Maybe something was stealing your time and pushing your buttons. And, and the reason you got mad is because you just didn't want to be inconvenienced. And it was a moment of selfishness. What, what is the anger rooted in is what you want to look at. Because Paul says in your anger, do not sin. Maybe there's a miscommunication. Maybe you became angry at work because there was a miscommunication and all of the efforts of this big project that you were doing, they're gone. And you're kind of frustrated, angry, and upset at all the wasted time and all the wasted effort. Or maybe that miscommunication made you angry at a person. And maybe that person, even though they're similar situations, maybe that person became the target of your anger. One of those is kind of good anger. You don't want to waste time. And one of those angers is not great. You don't want to make people your target. Maybe you became angry over a difference of opinion. Maybe you were trying to help somebody. You wanted to help them do the right thing the right way. Or maybe you were just trying to get somebody to do something your way. What's your anger rooted in? Because some, sometimes our anger is rooted in really good things. And when it is, we just don't want to sin in our anger. And sometimes we're sinning in our anger because we're chasing after something selfish or a personal preference. We know that we can be angry and not sin because Paul writes it. The psalmist writes it. And Jesus lived it. In Mark chapter 3, we see Jesus enter a synagogue on the Sabbath and he saw a man with a withered hand. And Jesus grew incredibly angry at the Pharisees, at these religious leaders who were more concerned about their religious rules instead of caring for this man who needed some help. 
And Jesus brought health. Jesus brought healing to him, demonstrating God's desire to show mercy instead of living up to these rigid rules that these Pharisees were pushing off on everybody. Or maybe in John chapter two, maybe the most famous illustration of anger within Jesus. We know it as the cleansing of the temple. And Jesus, you know, he kind of storms in because he's angry at those who are using the temple to exploit his people. And Jesus' anger was pointed toward the sin of exploitation. And he drove out the money changers and the sellers of animals for sacrifice. He's like, stop making my father's house a market. He flips tables. He's got a cord and he's, he's like, what is going on? Stop taking advantage of people and stop keeping people from having a worship experience. And in Matthew chapter 23, the entire chapter, Jesus expresses strong words of condemnation against scribes and Pharisees. He keeps saying, woe to you scribes, woe to you Pharisees. Such harsh language, uh, such an angry tone. But his anger is directed at their hypocrisy. His anger is directed at their legalistic practices that, that burned the people, that became an obstacle in the way of the kingdom of God. That's a holy anger. That's a good anger. That's Jesus being angry and not sinning. You know, these instances of anger are good because they're a response to sin and injustice and exploitation. Jesus' anger is aimed at restoration. His anger is, is aimed at, at bringing order and pointing people to God's will. He doesn't sin in his anger. He's defending God's honor. If you're taking notes, write this down. I love this. We're going to get angry, but we just can't stay angry. You know, anger can't consume us. It can't live inside of us. It's an emotion that, that maybe unearths something in the moment if it's good. And if it's not good, we've got to kill it. We've got to squelch it. And when we read, uh, when we read uh, Paul in Ephesians say that you can be angry and not sin, I got to tell you, uh, the point isn't that you and I get to be angry. The point is, do not sin when you become angry. Look at that verse again, Ephesians 4, 26. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. I love this because when, when Paul tells us to not let the sun go down on our anger, he's really urging us to address and resolve conflicts in our lives. And he wants us to do it as quickly as possible. He's emphasizing the importance of not allowing anger to linger. You know, unresolved anger, it's poison. It's poison inside of us. It hurts our hearts. Uh, anger can destroy relationships. Instead, he encourages us to seek reconciliation and restoration promptly. He wants us to be swift. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let a day go by when you don't try to work towards reconciliation and resolution. You know, you might go to bed hurt, but don't go to bed angry. You, you might go to bed with questions, but you don't want to go to bed mad. Bring some resolution to that. Don't let it fester. Don't let it sit in. You know why that's so important? Because when you and I, when we go to bed angry, when we sleep on it and we let anger linger, that offense that we're frustrated with, it begins to fester and it grows. And, and when you're not dealing with the root of your anger, you start convincing yourself that it's okay to be bitter instead of pursuing what's better. And when you give your anger time to just sit and fester, you start building a defense around your offense. And you don't want to do that. You don't want to start justifying the wrong things in your life. But if you let it sit, you really can talk yourself into it. 
When, when you're not seeking resolution and restoration, we're nurturing disappointment. We're nurturing hurt and anger. And all of those things are an open door of opportunity for the enemy. We don't want to give the enemy an opportunity to sneak into our lives or to just walk through a wide open front door because we refuse to do what's right and to find out what's right. You know, I've heard so many ridiculous stories of people who uh, haven't spoken to former friends or family members for decades. And they don't even remember why, they just remember that they're supposed to be mad at that person. Don't give the enemy an opportunity. When anger sets in and you need to find resolution, here's what you can do. You've got to seek forgiveness or you've got to, to seek to forgive. We want to work toward resolution. In your anger, do not sin. Forgiveness, be forgiven, resolution, and just don't sin in your anger. Don't let it fester. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. You know, we all get angry, but we can't stay angry. Uh, here's some wise words about anger from the brother of Jesus. I love this from James chapter 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Like, he's like, you've got to know this. You've got to, you've got to lock this in. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. While anger is natural and not all anger is bad, nobody's winning people with anger. We want to be slow to anger. If we could just take impulse out of the equation, our relationships and our heart would benefit exponentially. We want to be slow to anger. And Solomon actually shares something very close to that in Proverbs 14. A patient person shows understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. Haste leads to foolishness. But if we could just be slow to anger, it would help us understand. It would help us be more empathetic and, and compassionate. We, we want to be patient. We want to be slow to become angry. He acknowledges the damage and the dangers of impulse. You know, uh, pastor and author Tim Keller, who just stepped into glory a little more than a week ago, uh, he said this in a sermon I heard. Um, he said, there's really, there's really three things about anger. He says, anger is not a problem, but it's, it's what we do with our anger that becomes a problem. He said, you know, you could have no anger or you could have blow anger, meaning blow up, or you could be slow to anger. And when you think about these three things, you know, some of us are in one of these camps, right? I mean, uh, scripture is clear that never being angry isn't an option. We're always going to have moments. We're, for the rest of our lives, there will be moments where we're going to be angry. Just don't sin in your anger. Anger can be really good. Just don't sin in your anger. And it's clearly not okay to blow up. You know, just to have an explosion of, of emotion, you know, an outburst of anger, it's not healthy, it's not helpful, it's not good. What scripture says is that you and I, we need to be slow to anger. We need to take time to consider why we're angry. We need to take time to consider what's going on in somebody else's life. And when we slow down, we can grow our compassion and our empathy. When we slow down, we're, we're better able to understand from the other person's perspective. When you and I, when we're slow to anger, we may still need to bring correction in certain situations, but you'll be better set up to move forward and not sin in your anger. You know, Solomon put it this way in Proverbs 19, 11. He says, a, person, a person's insight 
gives him patience and his virtue is to overlook an offense. I love this. Insight is like a superpower. It really is. Insight, it helps us see beyond the surface. It helps us go beneath the surface and beyond what maybe just my preferences are because my preferences really determine a lot. And I just got to slow down and back up. Insight is, is me gathering and, and assessing information so that I can understand where the other person is coming from and so that I can align with God because I want to enter into this moment and not sin. And when I take time to understand the fruit of my labor is patience. When I take time to understand, I can become more empathetic, more patient, more compassionate toward others. You know, frustration, it often comes from a lack of understanding. Have you ever seen a child just explode for unreasonable uh, reasons? Unreasonable reasons? Like it doesn't even make sense to say that, but it's, it's because they don't understand. They can't wrap their brain around it. And that's true for you and I too. A lot of our, you know, explosive outbursts are because we didn't take time to understand. We weren't patient. And I love this. Look at this. His virtue is to overlook an offense. It's so hard for some of us to, to overlook an offense. And I got to tell you, we don't, we don't need to always overlook an offense, but sometimes it's the best thing to do. Sometimes we want to bring accountability but sometimes overlooking an offense is not only a good thing, it might actually be the best thing. You know, no one is saying that there wasn't an offense, but who's saying that you have to call out the offense every single time? You know, here's a few reasons why, why you might overlook an offense. Number one, sometimes we just need to do it to maintain the relationship, to build a relationship, to maintain a relationship. Uh, maybe this, uh, you know, emotional well-being. Maybe that's your emotional well-being. You just, you just got to stop calling it out. Or maybe their emotional well-being. They, they, they can't take it anymore. And, and just every time you mention something, it just piles on and piles on and just beats them down. You know, personal growth and maturity might be a reason. You know, we might pull back because maybe that person's not quite ready to hear it. Or they're, you know, we're pushing them to the, like, point of perfection. But they're not quite mature enough to handle that. More importantly, I think why we might overlook an offense is because we just want to trust God in his justice. We want to let God do his work. I don't want to step in and do the work of God. And, and the other thing, and this also incredibly important, the way that we relate to other people, especially when we overlook an offense, we might be reflecting God's love and grace to them. We want them to see grace. We want them to see mercy. You might overlook an offense to extend grace in a way that, that they might see Jesus in you doing that. And when you do call out an offense, if you lose your temper, you're going to lose the moment. We don't want to lose our temper. We don't want to lose the moment. And, and if we're not careful, we may lose or even damage the relationship. So we want to be slow to anger. We don't want to sin in our anger. Look at Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. When you and I, when we're, we're slow to anger, like we get to better choose our words. You know, people don't always appreciate you calling out an offense in a kind way, but you certainly will stir up trouble if you respond harshly. It's a fact. Uh, you, you don't, you don't want to become a bigger part of the problem. And, and let's go back to Proverbs 19, 11. Like this virtue, this virtue is so good. Like our virtues either align us with the world or they align us with the Lord. 
Like, what do you value? Because your virtues communicate what you value. So if we want to disarm anger in our lives, like we need to grow some very specific virtues in our life. Maybe write this down somewhere. If you're taking notes, you can see this in your worship folder. Uh, Disarming destructive anger. I'm going to give you nine things. All right. And just quickly write these down. They're short words. Uh, Love. It's so important for us to grow in our love. That's compassion and empathy and really caring for other people. Joy. You know, it's really hard to be a joyful person when you are just full of bitterness and anger. Peace. We got to pursue peace. As far as it depends on you and I, we want to pursue peace in every relationship. We want to be patient. The more patient you and I are, the better we're going to be able to handle moments that are explosive on our part or on the part of other people. And kindness. Kindness is just simply the opposite of anger. Uh, Goodness. We want to pursue what is good in God's eyes. We want to be faithful in every area of our life to our relationships, to our relationship with Jesus, the people around us. If you're married with your kids, if you have any, like faithfulness is paramount to destroying anger. We want to be gentle. It's kind of self-explanatory. Gentleness, also the opposite of anger. It's not explosive at all. And we want to have self-control, which might be the toughest thing on the list for, for many. We want to be able to hit the pause button. We want, to, we want to grow in patience and in our patience, like have some control. You know, our virtues align us with what we value. So we want to get help and we want to get closer to Jesus. Maybe write that down. Get help and get closer to Jesus because when we get closer to Jesus, these things just surface. And and I got to tell you, some of us, we might need help professionally. And there's no shame in seeing a counselor or a professional. Maybe you just want to start by taking somebody in your life group out for coffee and, and just talk about it. Do life with somebody who is sold out to your spiritual success and say, I just need to talk to somebody about this. And maybe it does end up being uh, some sessions with a counselor. That's a good thing to pursue health and restraint and patience and self-control in a way that's going to bring just such a huge value to your life. The closer you are to Jesus, the more these nine virtues will grow. Not only will they grow, they will show. They'll show up in your life. These nine things, are, are they visible? Are all of these nine things visible and growing in your life? You know, these, these are the antidote to so many issues of life. They really are. And, and, and they're the antidote to so many problems. And I promise you this, you and I, we can't grow these on our own. We, we only see these growing when we're walking with Jesus. Uh, in fact, uh, these nine virtues that help disarm destructive behavior are actually called uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Look at that. We've got a, we've got a typo up here. And uh, I got to tell you, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people call it the fruits of the Spirit, but it's not the fruits of the Spirit. When you read Galatians 5, you see that it's called the fruit of the Spirit. And I don't want to make too much out of it because some of these you might be better at than others. It's not that you can't excel or, or, you know, some of these are more prevalent in your life. But the point is that it is the fruit that all of these are visible and growing in the life of somebody who's following Jesus. Not just one, not just six, but all nine of these. All nine of these are visible in somebody who's walking with Jesus. These virtues are, are highly sought after, but they're only attainable when you're faithfully following Jesus. You know, if, if you want to beat anger, you've got to get closer 
You got to get closer to God. You got to start walking with Jesus more intentionally each and every day. You know, we can't reflect what we're not close to. Look at this. There's a, there's a mirror. Can you see me? I can see you. You're looking good. I was talking to me. <laughs> you know, the closer I get to this mirror, the clearer I am. The, the closer I am to this mirror, the clearer I am. And the closer you are to Jesus, the closer I am with Jesus, the, the better Christ's reflection in my life is. This is a really good illustration, but I got to tell you, it's not perfect. Because this mirror right now is it's actually just reflecting me. And what I want to do is I don't want to be a greater reflection of me. I want to be... I want to be a better reflection of Jesus. And in order to grow the fruit of the Spirit more intentionally, more radically, more like more alive, I just got to be closer to Jesus. Spending time in his words, spending time with people who are sold out to my spiritual success, uh, talking about Jesus, walking with Jesus in my life group at church. If you struggle with anger, I'm telling you, the best, the best, fullest remedy is a deeper relationship with Jesus. Because I promise you this, the more you and I are like Jesus, the less you and I are like the world. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word, for your encouragement. The, the, the people that you put in my life and the people that I hope that you put in the lives of everybody watching and listening right now, I just pray that, that you would use those men and those women to encourage and sharpen, help us grow in patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, love, joy, peace, self-control. God, all for your glory. God, grow us up, grow us closer to you and use our walk with you to shatter the rage, the outrage, and the anger in our lives, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Love you guys.